One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. All right, well, if you have your Bible today, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And uh, as you're turning there, I'll just, uh, I want to recognize some special friends and guests, uh, and that is Lance and Melody Stoddart, who are here with us today. And uh, Lance, if, you rec- if, if everybody recognizes the last name Stoddart, that's because Lance is Hannah's dad. And uh, we are so glad to have you. Lance is, uh, although he looks like he's a uh, motorcycle gang leader, he's actually... <laughs> He's actually uh, has been a longtime friend and missionary uh, and involved in a, a broad spectrum of leadership training, development, right now working with Leadership Training International, a great organization. And uh, Lance and my dad uh, used to travel the world together, and they're doing that again now. My mom and dad are about to go to Africa for two months, um, but uh, they went all over... That, yeah, that's true. That's true. Mom's got to keep an eye on him. But uh, they traveled the world before they had gray beards. They would, they would travel uh, the world. But we're so blessed to have you guys here, Lance, Melody. Great to have you. And uh, the more Stoddart's here, the better. We're glad for that. So, all right. Well, if you have uh, your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to read at verse 11. And we are in a series that we've been in for a few weeks, really since Easter. We started it uh, around the resurrection and out of Colossians where Paul says, since you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. And, And we use that to kind of springboard into Nehemiah. And I believe Nehemiah is a book that is relevant really to every generation, but specifically to this cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Because if you know the story of Nehemiah, you know that uh, God's people had been taken captive out of their promised land, out of their homeland, out of their comfort zone. Anybody been out of your comfort zone in the last 15 months or so? Yeah. Um, They were taken out of their comfort zone. And then God moved on uh, the hearts of people to go back, to to rise up and rebuild. And we're going to pick that up today in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. Nehemiah, this is kind of his leadership journal of his experience. And it says this, Nehemiah 2, 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. He's saying this is such a covert operation that that, that I even left my dog at home. It's just the animal. Leave the best friend at home. This is serious business. He says in verse 13, And I went out by night through the valley gate, to the serpent well and to the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal to pass under me. It's in a, it's in a tight spot. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. 
Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also of the king's words which, we, which he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? How many of you know that misery loves company? People that do nothing love for others to do nothing as well. And uh, as soon as you begin to rise up and do something, you will find that there are some people that will not be happy about you doing something. They're content as long as you do nothing, but as soon as you do something, they'll begin to scream and shout, okay? Verse 20, he says, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from God's word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active. And God, as we open your word, Father, we pray that faith would be released in our hearts today. God, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. God, we don't want to be people that just have heads filled with information, but Lord, we want our hearts to receive transformation today. God, I pray that there would be a release of faith into this atmosphere, God. Thank you, Lord. Even as we worshiped you today, God, that you are here today. And Lord, we pray that there would be an uprising of faith, hope, and love. God, anoint me to preach, God. Anoint every person to hear and to receive your word. Father, we thank you for it, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we here find Nehemiah. He has, uh, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Nehemiah is living originally in Babylon or what was the Babylonian capital. He was living the good life. Everything was easy for Nehemiah. He was actually a part of the king's administration. And then he hears about the condition of Jerusalem. And when he hears the condition of Jerusalem, that this place that God had promised to bless and to, to manifest his presence in, that this place that was the promised land was now filled with problems, the Bible says that Nehemiah sat down and wept. He was gripped over the burden of the condition of God's people. But then it, it says this, that he didn't just run to Jerusalem. He didn't just say, well, I've got to go do something about it. How many of you know the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing? Yeah. It, it, the right thing always requires the right time. And oftentimes, just about all of the time, there is a process between the call and the fulfillment. And so he had this burden, but he didn't just run to Jerusalem, pull out a hammer and just, you know, start building. He, he let the, 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 the burden grow. 
And in fact, he was faithful. He showed up for work the next day. You know, sometimes we get a vision and we think, well, I've got to leave. I've got to go change the world. No, you've got to be faithful in the place that God has put you so that when the moment comes that he releases what he's called you to, it can be released in the strength that God has for you. So Nehemiah didn't just go. I like to say it this way. It wasn't just that he went, but he was sent. And it was through his faithfulness that he brought the favor of the king. He said to the king, if I found favor in your sight. I don't know if you're watching our sermons online. I encourage you. If you're not, you're missing, you're missing the weeks in the middle. But he said, favor. If I found favor. Let me tell you, there's nothing that can affect your life quite like the favor of the king on your life. More than any uh, thing in the natural, the favor of God, the favor of the king. And, and, and the king said, go back to Jerusalem and not just go back, but I want you to go and, and you take all of my uh, resources. I'm going to fund this project. And so here we find in verse 11 of chapter 2 that now Nehemiah has shown up on site. He, he's on location and as he arrives, it says that he came to Jerusalem and he arose at night and he began to go around the city. He, he was doing a little bit of reconnaissance. He was going around and it says that he was looking in all the, all the, the nooks and the crannies. He was looking under the gates. He was looking around the wall. And he says that the, the city was in ruins. He, this place that he had known of in the past is the city of God is now left in ruins. The, the, the walls that had been so grand and the gates that had been so beautiful are now broken apart. But Nehemiah is not just looking at it through his natural eyes. Nehemiah is looking at it through the eyes of faith. You see, anybody can see a problem. How, how many of you know there are some experts out there at diagnose, diagnosing every problem in the world? I've always wanted to be, if God didn't call me to be a pastor, I'd love to be like a food critic. How many of you think that would just be an awesome, I mean, it, it aligns with my spiritual gift of eating. And, and also, uh, I just love the idea of not actually having to do something, but just criticizing somebody else who has done something. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and anybody could see the problem. And to be honest, people had seen the problem for generations. People had seen the problem. Well, I guess it's not what it used to be. I guess this is, we just got to get ready, get used to the new normal, right? This is just how life is going to be. But Nehemiah, when he saw it, he didn't just see it through the natural. He saw it through eyes of faith. He remembered the covenant as he's walking around Jerusalem. I just, I just can see him walking around and he's seeing the condition, but he's seeing it not just in the natural. He's seeing what God has said about Jerusalem. He's seeing, he's seeing yes, this is a place in, in disrepair. This is a place that's broken down, but God, you've said this will be a place of blessing. You've said that this would be a place where where, where your presence would dwell. You said that this would be a place where the Messiah would come and his kingdom would rule and reign and fill the earth. And so I'm not just going to allow it, Nehemiah would say, to stay in the condition it's in. I'm not just seeing the problem. I'm seeing the potential. 
And what I want to propose to you today is that Nehemiah is going to rise up and build the wall. We'll see in the weeks to come. But Nehemiah was not just a builder. Nehemiah was a vision builder. Nehemiah was a vision builder. He had a vision from God. He he was propelled, not just by his own natural desires, he's propelled by this moral imperative that he is called by God to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And he's caught this vision of what it could be and should be, but is not currently. And I want you to understand this, that everything God does On the earth, he does through a vision builder. He does through a vision builder. What what am I talking about? I'm saying this, that any time there's a problem on the earth, any time there's something in the world that's not the way it should be and could be, God always gives a man or a woman a vision. God always speaks to a person a vision. Now, you may say, well, I don't like that. I I like, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the sovereignty of God and God does everything. Yes, that is true, but God has partnered himself with mankind. He has delegated his authority on the earth to mankind. And any boss that is a good boss understands that when you delegate authority, you don't override the delegation that you have given the empowerment to. And so God speaks to Nehemiah. God is is laying the vision on Nehemiah's heart, and that's what God always does. Amos says it this way in Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says, Surely the Lord does nothing on the earth unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, you may hear that. You may think, a prophet. I'm not a prophet. A prophet is kind of a, you know, they're kind of a person that like lives out on a mountaintop and they're, they come down. They're a little weird. Well, they may be a little weird, but we're all a little weird. <laughs> Everybody's normal until you get to know them, right? So if they're weird, it has nothing to do with the, that's the humanity, <laughs> which we all have. Um, but, but the word prophet in the Old Testament simply means a seer, a seer, one who sees. And so by definition, a prophet where God says through Amos that I'm doing nothing out on the earth unless I, I reveal it to my prophets. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to do anything unless you can first see it. I want you to see what I say coming to pass. I want you to know this, that unless you can begin to see what God has said coming to pass in your life, you'll never see what he says coming to pass. Why? Because vision is an expression of faith. And the Bible says that we can receive nothing from the Lord apart from faith. And let me give you some good news that that faith is not even of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And so God gives you faith And then he uses your faith to release his purpose and plan for your life. How good is God? He's so good. He's so good. But there is a partnership. And I want you to know that God's called every one of us to live as vision builders. That's why Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit is poured out, Peter quotes the book of Joel, the Old Testament prophecy by Joel that says that in the last days... Who thinks we're in the last days? Well, we were in the last days 2,000 years ago. We're even more in the last days today. In the last days it shall come to pass, 
says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Who here is all flesh? Pinch yourself today. Come on, if you, if you feel that, you qualify. Okay, you've got flesh, you qualify. If your neighbor is weird, pinch them too, okay? I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. If you've got flesh, you qualify. Flesh, uh, humanity is not what disqualifies us from God's goodness. It's actually in that place of need and limitation that we become qualified. Because that's where God will pour out His Spirit. Your sons and daughters. Who's a son or daughter? I know it's 2021. That may feel like a complicated question. But everyone in this room, you're a son or a daughter, okay? (laughs) Young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Don't point fingers this morning at young or old. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy or they shall see what I have said coming to pass in their life. Peter says this, that what was promised in the old covenant is available in the new covenant. Young, old, men, women, all flesh qualifies for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That means this, that God wants you to live with vision. He wants you to live with vision. Maybe you feel like the last year you've got punched in the eye. You've lost your vision. You may feel like you're stumbling around like a boxer that's, whose eyes are swollen shut. I believe God wants to restore your vision. God wants to bring back our vision. God wants you to live with vision for your family. God wants you to live with vision for relationships. God wants you to live with vision. Perhaps it's a business. Perhaps it's an organization. Perhaps it's an initiative that God will put in your heart. But God is wanting to work in your life through vision. Through vision. He wants us to live with vision. That's why Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision... The people cast off restraint. Is that an accurate diagnosis of the world we live in? And there's, a, there's a lack of restraint. Why? Because we have no prophetic vision. And we look to the wrong place to get the vision. The vision, God's vision, will never come through Washington. God's vision will come through the church. I'm not against Washington. In fact, God may call some of you to go there. <laughs> but... It's through the church that he's birthing his vision into the earth, the kingdom of God. And I want to stir you today, even as we're talking about vision as a church, I want to stir you towards the vision that God has called you to. I believe if you're a part of this church that the vision he's called you to is a part of the vision he's called us to. But every one of you, God wants to give you a vision for your life. God wants you to live with a sense of purpose, a sense of destiny. A sense that God has put me on the earth for a reason. I'll tell you, apart from knowing God, what a miserable existence life is. That all of life becomes just a happenstance and coincidence and there's no greater purpose to my life. No, God has created you for a purpose. And he's wanting to release his purpose through your life. But we have to live with vision. One church, Park District, God wants us to be a people of vision. His vision into our city. And so I want to give you a few things out of this passage that I believe we need to understand if we are going to be vision builders. 
if we're going to be vision builders, people that believe and see what God has said over our lives, over, this, over our city, over the world, and then go into action to bring it to pass. The first thing that I believe we need to understand from Nehemiah, if we are going to be vision builders, is this, that vision is beyond me. Vision is beyond me. God, or maybe I should say it this way, godly vision is always beyond me. Human vision is ultimately towards me. Human vision is all about me, myself, and I. It's all about my comfort. It's all about my enjoyment. But God's vision is always beyond me. The Bible says of Nehemiah that when he saw the walls of Jerusalem, he saw the walls of Jerusalem, his vision was around the walls of Jerusalem. And I want you to see this. It wasn't just about having great walls. It wasn't like, I'm really into walls, and I just think we really need to have a beautiful wall. That's not what it was about. It was actually uh, about God's purpose and plan for the city. That God had promised that He would dwell there among people. Not to limit His presence to that place, but that through that place He could fill the earth. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm going to set up a little flagship. Some of you are familiar with brands. If you're in marketing, sometimes brands will have a flagship, flagship store on Fifth Avenue in New York or probably some other place nowadays. But what are they doing? They're saying, we want, we're going to have a little epicenter so that everybody can see our vision in reality. And that's what Jerusalem was intended to be. It was intended to be the, the center of God's plan and purpose and presence on the earth. That he would live there and that he would demonstrate through the people of the city what it, life with God looked like for the whole world. But they ultimately made it all about them, their comfort. In fact, if you know the story of the rebuilding of Jerusalem, you know that that uh, Zerubbabel had, re had led a group back to begin the rebuilding. And they laid the foundation, but then they said, you know what, I think I'll just stop here. This is good enough. We're going to build our own house. In other words, I I'm just going to prefer my comfort over God's kingdom. And for Nehemiah, his, God's kingdom was of greater importance than his own comfort. In, in fact, he left his comfort. He, he was living pretty good in the palace. And, and he left that and he went back to Jerusalem. And oftentimes when we live with God's purpose and call for our lives, it will oftentimes cost us comfort. It will cost us something. But what we receive is so much greater than what we've lost. As the scripture says, what does it profit a man or woman if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? What God wants to give you through his kingdom is far greater than your own comfort. And so Nehemiah had a vision beyond himself. It wasn't just about Jerusalem. It was actually about God's purpose on the earth. You see, he knew what, what had been declared over Jerusalem. He knew that there would be a day that the Messiah would come. And 400 years later, if you know the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, you know that the very gates that Nehemiah rebuilt were the very gates that Jesus entered through into Jerusalem. In other words, what was Nehemiah doing? He was preparing the way of the Lord. Your job and my job is simply to prepare the way of the Lord. 
Why are we wanting a building? Not because it's our own comfort. If it's just let's have a place so we don't have to set up and tear down anymore, well, that will be nice, but I want you to know there's something greater than our comfort. We're not building, a, we're, we're not uh, getting a building because we just want something for ourselves. We want God's purpose to be accomplished in our city and across the world. This building is not about just having a place so that we can come in and have our seat on a Sunday and, and, and you know, nice coffee and a, a nice environment to drop off of our, drop our kids off. Nothing wrong with having those things, but if that's all that it's about, let me off the bus. That's not what we're here for. We are here to make an impact in the world. We're here to make a difference in the world. The reason we want the building is because there will be people that will walk in that have never encountered the love of God, the goodness of God, and they will sit in that building that we have prepared through our own blood, sweat, and tears, and investment as they sit in that place. God will permeate their heart with His presence. They'll come alive to God's call. That's why we want the building. We want the building because it's in those rooms children's rooms where a child will hear a Bible story and the seed of the gospel will be implanted in their heart and there will be something deposited within them that they will not be able to shake for the rest of their lives. That's why we want a building. We want a building because people who feel rejected and excluded need a place where they can experience the love and acceptance and welcoming arms of God wrapped around them. That's why we want a building. We want a building because I believe there will be people, young people perhaps, that will hear of God's great purpose and call in their lives and there will be something awakened within them that they'll say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want, to do, want me to do because they've been so gripped by the purpose and plan of God for their lives. That's why we want a building. That's why we want a building. It's not about a building. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It's about God's presence, God's purpose on the earth. Vision is always beyond us. It's always beyond us. Amen? Amen. I may preach this morning. Verse two, number two, not only is vision beyond me, but vision requires divine power. Divine power. You see, if, it's, if you can do it by yourself, it's not God. God's, if you don't have a vision for your life that is absolutely impossible, if God doesn't show up, God wants to give you a bigger vision. If you have a vision for your life that has been developed just out of your current resources and ability, God wants to give you a bigger vision for your life. Nehemiah goes through a planning process. He lays out a schedule. He lays out a budget to, to King Artaxerxes. There's nothing wrong with those things, but his plan could not be accomplished in his own power. In verse 18, he says this as he shared the vision with the people, the remnant back in Jerusalem. He says this, I told them of the good hand or the hand of God, which was good upon me. In other words, he's saying this, God's with us. God's with us. You see, people had not been able to rebuild the wall for generations how, how was this little ragtag bunch going to ever accomplish what God had called them to? Look at your neighbor say, who's he calling ragtag? <laughs> but let me tell you this, God always works through a remnant. 
God always works through a group of people that will stand up even when they don't have what they need, even when they don't see in the natural everything in place. But they'll say, God, let you be true and every other person a liar, and I'm going to depend on your power. And that's where Nehemiah was. He says, the hand of my God was upon me. Now that phrase, hand of God, is a, it's a figure of speech. God doesn't have physical hands as you and I have. But it's a, it is a sign of God's power that was evident with them. You see, we step out in faith according to what we believe God is calling us to. And it's oftentimes as we take action that the power is released. Many people never experience the power because they never take the action. Nehemiah took the action of asking the king, and then the blessing, the provision came for him. And he goes on to say this. He says that the God of heaven himself will prosper us. God's hand is upon us. Let me tell you, if God is with you, who can be against you? If God calls you, if God commissions you, if God provides for you, nobody can stop you. And he's saying God's hand is upon us. It's the same language that, that, that Jesus used as he quotes Isaiah at the beginning of his ministry. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Yeah. And it's in that moment as the Holy Spirit has come upon him that he goes from being a, a, a 30-year-old uh, you know, carpenter to becoming a, 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 a Messiah, you know, the evidence of his Messiahship to transform the world through the power of God upon him. And here's the good news that he says the same thing of us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord, or Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power. There's a few verses floating around in here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Which begs the question, has the Holy Spirit come upon you? I believe what we experienced a couple of weeks ago as we were humbling ourselves before the Lord and there was a sense of, wow, God is here. Prophetic words, things, gifts being released. The Bible calls it gifts of the Spirit. What is that? That's divine enablements for the work that God has called us to do. I believe it was just evidence that God's hand is upon us. I love in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel said this as the church was exploding and the religious establishment wanted to stop it. He said this, it's the best thing anybody, any religious person said in, in the New Testament. He said this, don't fight against them because if God is with them, you're fighting against them, against God. If it's not of God, it'll come to nothing. If God's with it, you don't want to fight against it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the hand of God the power of God. Let me tell you this, if God gives you a vision, don't try to accomplish it just in your own ability. Your ability can never do what the anointing can do. In fact, God looks for people with limited ability. God loves to use people. If you feel like you're inadequate, that's the very credential that God is looking for. The Bible says this, that not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty are called, but God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things of the world to bring to nothing the, the, the things that are, uh, the, that are of the world. And so let me tell you, here's some good news today. We have a big goal. We have a big goal. 
I told you several weeks ago that we had a goal of raising $300,000 towards this building. And I told you at that time we had a goal of raising $300,000. Here's what I didn't tell you because we didn't know it and it wasn't in play at the time. That we have a deadline. Now we currently have a contract and we're set to close on June 1st. Who has a calendar? Yesterday was May 1st. Okay, now it, that's, uh, that's, that's a goal. That's a big goal. But let me tell you this, we have a big God. If we're budgeting according to our ability, call it off. If we're budgeting according to what I've got in my bank account, I looked on the bank account this morning. I refreshed the page several times. There wasn't that money in there. It wasn't in there. But if we are, if we are budgeting, if we are planning only according to our ability, we will always be limited. We will always be limited. I, I don't know about you. I want to live beyond my ability. That's what the Bible says about the Corinthians or about the Macedonians that they gave even beyond their ability. You see, when you live in your own ability, you're always, you're, you're always limited to your own power. But when you reach the end of your ability, you enter the zone of the unknown. You enter the very moment where God shows up when there's 5,000 men plus women and children and all you've got is two fish and a few loaves and what are they among so many? Let me tell you what they are. They're the recipe for God's power to be released. Why does God do that? He does it so that no flesh should glory in his presence. He does it so that the world will say not, wow, they're really good at managing their money, but wow, how did they do that? God, God, God showed up. All glory, all honor, all credit, all accolades go to God. I'm thankful for our ability. We've got an incredibly gifted team. But we're not going to live according to our ability. We're going to walk in the power of God's presence and God's spirit. Let me tell you, $300,000 in God's economy is no different than three cents. Do you think God's any more limited by the number of zeros? <laughs> Sometimes we think, well, I could believe God, $30, $300, $3,000. Suddenly, oh, I don't know if God can do that. God can do it. And let me tell you this. I want you to know we are planning and we are doing our due diligence. There's been so much that's happened behind the scenes um, some of you have been involved in that. Brad has been involved in it. Our eldership team as a whole has been in part, uh, involved with it. My dad has been involved with it. Uh, Dave McDaniel is a real estate developer. He's been involved uh, with it. J.D. Carling, who's at home today watching, uh, he's been involved in it. Um, but the most important thing is that God's been involved in it. Yeah. God's been involved in. I want to tell you just a few things. So we're going to share a video in a minute that will share with you the vision of the building that we believe God's called us to. But, but I'll tell you just a few things. And, and honestly, I could tell you more. But, uh, you know, at the end of December, when we realized we were not going to be able to go back to the museum, we said, okay, God, we believe you're calling us to step out. We're going to start to look for a place. And we were talking about it in our eldership team meeting and the, the practicalities of that. And at the end of the call one night as we were preparing to hang up, Jarrett, my brother, uh, who's a part of the team, said this, I feel like we should look towards IHOP. Look at IHOP. It's like, you, you just hungry? You uh, getting the munchies here, brother? What's going on? And uh, I thought, well, we'll look at IHOP. Um, and, and there's an IHOP a few, you know, a half a mile down from my office. I'll look there. Maybe they've closed. I don't know. Um, 
No, they haven't. And I thought, okay, well, we'll just kind of log that away. Well, uh, we found a building and we began looking into it. And there's some mir- other miraculous things that I can share with you. But one thing that we saw very early is that two doors down from this building, there's an IHOP. Now, we're not going to make all of our plans just off of that word. But when you start getting some words like that, you go, okay, log this away. Uh, another thing, our eldership team, as I was sharing the, the location with them, we met there, and you'll see in just a moment, it's a, it was, it's a building that has been a tire center, and now there's a custom uh, car upholstery uh, and paint shop there, and um, we showed up there, and uh, we looked at the building, and as we were leaving, Matt Hammer said, uh, I, I felt like yesterday, I think it was, the day before we were meeting there, he said, I felt like in my prayer time, the Lord had given me some words. And, and one of those words was this phrase, the gorilla, uh, the, the gorilla sign is confirmation. Now, I said before about prophetic people feeling a little weird or seeming weird. Uh, now, if you know Matt, you know he's the opposite of weird, which is one reason I love him so much is that he's, he's a sleeper prophetic guy. Uh, <laughs> but we're there, and he, said, I, he says, I, I, I had that word yesterday. I said, Matt, did you write that down somewhere? Can we, like, get, is this legit? He said, yeah, I wrote it down. Now, this building, the, the, the business that's currently there is called Gorilla Custom Auto. And as we were there, they had not had these signs the, the times before when I was there. But while we were there, they had stencils spray painting Gorilla logos on the building. I said, perfect. We were really hoping we could find a building with kind of a jungle theme to it. You know, that's perfect. <laughs> But, um, and I'll, I'll warn you, we're going to cast a vision, and you may see, if you look in the natural, you just see problems, but there's great potential. But we just said, I think God's with us. I'll tell you another thing. Um, you know, as a church, we need a lot of parking. Uh, most businesses don't have all of their, you know, customers show up at one time in church. You just need a lot of parking. And so we, were, we knew we needed a place that had some parking, which adds, of course, to the expense because you you know, you've got to buy the land if you have to um, you know, uh, pave it and do all of that. It can get very expensive. And so one of the first things I noticed about this building when I pulled it up online was that there was a huge parking lot behind it. I thought, wow, that's awesome. Maybe we can rent the parking lot. Maybe we can work out a deal with the owner. And we ended up through our agent contacting the owner and had a phone call with him. And we were trying to ask him, is there any way you'd let us rent this parking? Because the reality is if you got the building and you don't have the parking, it doesn't work, okay? And so we were saying to him, would you, you, know, would you consider allowing us? We are a church. This is what we're looking to do. And he said, I- I'm a believer, and these are his words. He said, uh, you can't pay me for it, but if it, if it advances the kingdom, you're welcome to use it for free. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. Now, we've realized, you know, we've got to go on a little bit more than just, you know, a handshake. We've got to make this secure. And so we knew that we had to get a contract 
that it wasn't just free, but it would be free for an extended period of time. And so I went back to him and had lunch with him several week, a couple weeks ago and, and was basically going to say, look, thank you so much for your generosity, but we really need this for a longer period of time. And before I even got to my ask, he said to me, he said, it, it would be okay if it's 99 years as long as we can work something out in the event that I may pass away. I said, well, we're, we're going to save you a parking spot. We're praying that you won't pass away. Here's, here's the deal. Uh, you provide the parking and we'll, we'll pray that you're around for the 99 years that we use it, okay? And, but I want you to know that's a miracle. That's a miracle. I sat there. My mouth just open. I'm going, what is this? This is, my dad uses the term divine fingerprints. What are divine fingerprints? Where there's a hand, there's a fingerprint. And what are we saying? We see some fingerprints that God is in this. This is not just our efforts. We sense as a team, a leadership team, and I believe God wants all of us to sense this. God is with us. God is with us. 300,000 is a big goal, but we've got a big God. That's why Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. What's he able to do? Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you can ask or think. I don't know how high you think, but take your thinking, take your dreams and add exceedingly abundantly above that. That's the realm that God is working in. And vision requires divine power. The third thing is Nehemiah said, the hand of my God is good upon me. The third thing I want you to see is this, that, that vision, not only is vision uh, beyond me, not only is it, does it require divine power, but the third thing I want you to see is that vision always has to move from me to we. It's got to go from me, whoever me is, to we. You see, vision always starts in a man or a woman. It always starts in a person who's been alone with God. It doesn't start in public, it starts in private. As Jesus calls it, the secret place. And he says this, what, 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 I tell you in secret, I want you to say openly. And so when we are alone with God, God will begin to give us vision. He'll begin to give us dreams. He'll begin to put ideas and inventions and creativity in our heart. And notice that Nehemiah says this at the beginning of the passage we read. He said, I told no one what God had put in my heart. I didn't tell anybody. There was a period where I didn't tell everybody. He didn't go on Facebook immediately and say, y'all, let me tell you, I'm about to blow up. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. He didn't say that. He just kept it to himself. He kept it to himself. Like the Bible says of Mary, that Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. God, if you have said it, you're going to bring it to pass. God, if you have deposited that vision in my heart, I'm going to trust that you will bring it to pass. And he kept it in his heart, and he's carrying this faith. He's like a woman that is carrying a baby on the inside. There's something that's been deposited by the Holy Spirit, but how many of you know there's a moment that what is in you will be released through you? That's right. At some point, you've got to cast the vision. 
you got to communicate it. He had done his due diligence. He had spent time praying and seeking God. And now's the moment. He says, come, let us build. It started with him. It started personally, but now it becomes communal. Vision always starts personally. There's somebody that says, I, I can't help myself. I've got to do it. God's called me to do it. And then as that's shared, there becomes this communal yes and amen. You see, a visionary has to release the vision, but the community has to receive the vision. It ha they have to receive the vision. He said, I told them of the good hand of God that was upon me. So they said, let us rise up. I love that phrase, let us. Let us. I say it this way, let us is the language of heaven. You ever read Genesis? Let us make man in our image. Let us make man. The enemy's language is always, I will. Isaiah records that. I will rise up. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. If your vision's all about you, it's come from the wrong place. But it's not, not about Nehemiah. It's about the community. It's about what God wants to birth through the community. And they said, let us rise up. That's the phrase that this, the name of this series is, is inspired by, let us rise up, the uprising. And, and I believe that when vision is received into our hearts, there's always this sense of an uprising. There's always a sense, my dad likes to say it this way, it made my spirit leap. <laughs> Have you ever had your spirit leap? Have you ever had something? We'd, I'd say it this way, it, it's, uh, it, it, you, you, it's inspiring. There's something inside you that, that lifts that's when you know that it's God. There's something in us that, that rises up. Uh, vision always lifts us. Vision lifts your spirit. Vi you know, we've been in a time where there's been a, a, oftentimes a lack of vision, but God wants to give vision that will lift us out of this moment. Vision will lift your spirit. Vision will lift your head. You're not walking around beat down and worn down anymore. There's, there's a lift in your in your spirit. There's a lift in your step. That's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants to do for us. And I want to show you a video today that is a, a, a vision release of what we believe that God has called us to. And uh, then we're going to receive our offering after. And I'd love for you, if you can, just to stay as much as possible, stay put uh, while we see this. You, you won't want to miss it. All right? So take a look. <laughs> What makes a house a home? It's more than bricks and mortar, more than wood and nails. A home is a place of love, a place of acceptance, a place where we are cared for, where we grow, where we gather with those we love, and from where we go into the world where God has called us. And over the history of our church, we have been a family without a home. We have met in family rooms, in rented rooms. We've met in public parks, in art galleries, and online. We will set up and tear down and get in where we can fit in. But over the last year or so, we've been faced with the increasing problem of limited venues available to us. But I believe that within every problem, there is potential. And I believe that within this problem that we have been facing is the potential that God is providing a place for us to call home, a place that we would call the open 
house, an open house to God, an open house to our church, and an open house to the community around us. And I'm excited to share with you today that we have found a place and are under contract on a building at 1325 Lee Road. This building is just minutes off of the interstate on a major thoroughfare between Orlando and Winter Park. Historically, it was the Lee Road Tire Center, a place where broken down vehicles would be rebuilt, but I believe this will be a place where broken lives will be rebuilt. And today I am excited to share with you what we envision for the open house. As you look at the front of the building, you'll notice five large roll-up bay doors creating an indoor-outdoor space opening onto a sweeping front porch across the front of the building. A great place to sit with a book or just to catch a bit of sunshine. As you enter the front doors of the building, you'll find a beautiful airy cafe serving some of the best coffee around in a great environment to meet friends on Sundays or to get a little work done during the week. As you move from the cafe through the double doors into the large social hall, you'll find an enclosed children's play area surrounded by a multi-purpose lounge for parents to enjoy while their kids play safely inside. From the social hall, you can explore the other kids' classrooms or enter into a large gathering hall with a seating capacity of 150 people. This space will be used for Sunday gatherings, midweek ministry, and an assortment of community events. From the large gathering hall, retractable doors lead into an expansive backyard, enclosed for children to run and designed with lingering in mind. From front to back, this building is designed in keeping with its name to be an open house where neighbors become friends, friends become family, and family is the future. And today I wanna ask you to partner with us. I wanna ask you to consider joining with us financially as we have set a goal of $300,000 that will help us to purchase and to begin renovations on the property. I wanna ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us, simply to ask God if he would have you to give and what he would have you to give towards this initiative. The beautiful thing about that is that if God puts it on your heart, you can trust that God will provide. And I'm so excited to see what God does in our lives and through our lives as we partner together in faith, in finances to build an open house. Let us, yeah. Let us, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. I want to ask you if you would just to stand to your feet.